The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Skinny are helping you show how smart you are with the 1Q Quiz, an all-new, super-challenging and super-quick daily quiz built by The Spin-Off. Every Monday, Skinny are giving you the chance to prove you're smart with the Skinny Extra Credit question. Get it right, and you'll get the chance to score yourself some Skinny Extra mobile credit so you can text, call, or even video call your group chat and gloat about how big your brain is. T's and C's apply. The Fold is brought to you by O Media, making brands unmissable and public spaces better across Aotearoa. No mai hoki mai ki a the fold e mihi nei ko Duncan Grieve talkinga. My guest this week is uh, Millie Olikan, who is who I met like full disclosure. I met less than twenty four hours ago, and I'm now basically obsessed with a uh, very me situation. But she's the VP of International Relations and Development, which is a job title that makes you sound like a diplomat or a spy or something. Uh, for the Country Music Association in Nashville. It's really hard to overstate uh, her power and influence. She's actually a New Zealander, um, born and raised in Canterbury, um, came up through a circuitous path that she describes through the industry, including uh, managing the the brunettes when they were signed to Sub Pop and kind of a big deal. But she basically has always had to scratch and claw her way in but now she is in the Citadel, probably the most kind of insular, storied kind of infrastructure and community part of the entire pop music uh, industrial complex. And country music, which obviously the Country Music Association is, is exists to propagate, is having a real moment. I, I've been kind of working my way into it over the past probably 10, 15 years, ever since I first heard uh, Taylor Swift's Fearless and then Sam Hunt's Montevallo particularly. Uh, it's a kind of maligned genre and a lot of it isn't for me, but the best of it has its hooks into me like like the best kind of R&B does. It's just a, a really singular kind kind of music that ha- that has its own codes and laws. And... But over the, it used to be hard to get to. It, you know, it was just, it, it wasn't particularly interested in telling its story to you. But partly as a result of the rise of um, Spotify and YouTube as music discovery vehicles, it's had this kind of rolling explosion over the past few years to the point where, as of right now, uh, you know, artists like uh, Morgan Wellen and, and Luke Combs, who played Spark Arena last night, extraordinary show uh, which I reviewed for the spin-off uh, last week uh, they they have kind of they're, they're sort of dominating the culture in a way that's only real the only kind of real comparison is the rise of Latin music like sort of um, Bad Bunny and so on but it's just there is just something happening there and it's not an accident and really I got Millie on to to explain the story of of her career which is also um, particularly over the last five ten years explains the the story of country music's rise and how it's been this kind of very resilient uh, cultural business kind of manufacturing approach that's really really still largely operating as it as it probably did 60 or 70 years ago and that's 
I think there are huge lessons in that for every aspect of the media um, in terms of both creation and and how that uh, product is then connected to fans. Um, I, if it's not already obvious, I really, really enjoyed this. I think Millie is probably one of the New Zealand medias. This is me having discovered her about 10 minutes ago. But the most underappreciated uh, international success stories. I'm so thrilled to have her on the podcast. So this is Millie Olikan, the VP of International Relations and Development at the Country Music Association on The Fold. Kia ora, Millie. Welcome to The Fold. Well, thanks for having me. So I wondered if you could start by explaining, you know, what, what, what your job title is and, and what that job entails. Well, um, I, my title is VP of International Relations and Development. It's a long, and I work for the Country Music Association of America, based in Nashville. Um, it's a long title, and it really involves, the short version is, how do we help export country music around the world? You know, but I really need to back up and talk about the Country Music Association. Um, country music has a trade association, And um, it's got a cool backstory because it was launched over 60 years ago because country music used to be really strong in America on the radio. And then Elvis Presley showed up and all these radio stations started converting over to rock and roll. And so the music business got together, the country music business and said, we've got to actually form an association to protect the genre. And that's that's how it was born. So... Jump forward 60 years, it's now like we're in the streaming world. How do we how do we export our genre? How do we make sure that it succeeds in other markets? And that's that's where I come in. It's it's so interesting. And and the, the fact of it being a trade association, I think, is actually sort of speaks to a lot of why country sort of feels and behaves differently as a a sort of a genre and a community to, to other forms of music to some extent, which I really want to dig into. But I want to actually sort of back uh, the truck up a bit on you first, because you're not, you know, your your accent betrays you. You're not from Nashville. Um, what was your what was your path to the CMA? First of all, I like the back the truck up. <laughs> I noticed that. Um, you know, I think I it, it's. It's a long story, isn't it, when we're all getting older? It's a very long story now. That's, that's right. We've got nothing but time on this podcast. Um, that's another country music song right there. Jeez. Um, okay, so, um, yeah, I'm a country kid, but I, I I had dreams of the entertainment business in one way, shape, or form. Um, and really, I loved music and bands. And at one point, I just realized... I could do something in that. And I I really started striving towards working in the music business. I didn't know it was the music business. I mean, like you, we all were reading the back of record sleeves and reading about fan clubs and managers and stuff. I thought, I'm, I could, I'd like to do something like that. How do I do it? So um, It requires a kind of uh, naivety to, to yeah. even attempt it, right? Yeah, which went along the lines of walking up to a band after a gig and saying, can I volunteer and help you guys? And um, and then manage, managing that band when I was 21, and they were the Strange Loves from Dunedin. They were signed to Flying Nun. Yeah. Um, and learning, and in the meantime, I was working at the Fortune Theatre. I, I moved to Dunedin. I had, a, I had a kind of a drama kick for a long time and then pivoted to music. Um, 
and then, yeah, I started, I, you know, taught, I learned how to, I guess you could say manage a band. I learned how to book a band around New Zealand and, um, and that led to, you know, I was due to do my OE. I always wanted to do my OE. And then when I did that and came back, I'm like, right, I'm going to get serious and this is going to be my career. Amazing. And then still that, that leaves a, that's a quite a long way from I'm going to make this my career to being in the very specific hothouse environment Sorry, that is Nashville. I didn't, I didn't really fill in. That's what I feel like. It's, it's a long story. I want the long story. Um, I, when I look back on my time in Auckland, so I moved back, you know, we're talking early 90s here and moved back to, moved to Auckland and I was just banging on the doors trying to get in the music business. I had left school at high school. I don't have any education beyond that. And so I just, that's what I was doing. I was just trying to get in. I, you know, I would have loved to work for a record label or something like that. But I just, I just wanted to be in the business. And um, I ended up getting in working for New Zealand Musician Magazine. It was my first real music job. And um, no offence to anyone associated with that magazine, but it's kind of the poor man's version of getting into the music business. <laughs> However, it meant I got to go to everything. You know, I was I was at those press conferences that we used to have back then and um, I got to know everybody working in the business and I was one of those people that nerded out on who's who in the business and things like that. And um, and I learned things about my own skill set that I was really good at organising stuff and pulling things together. I wasn't good at writing. I wanted to do what, what you started doing, which was actually, you know, write about music, but I actually wasn't any good at it, but... I had to had go. But then I also knew I wanted to, I mean, I wanted to do it all. It sounds like when I'm talking about it like this, but. But that's what you're like in your 20s, you know. Yeah. Um, and it feels like it's all just there open for you. Yeah. Uh, the live the live side of it, putting on a gig, going to going to shows, like that experience, the, I always call it the audiovisual experience. It's not just about listening, it's watching that performance, connecting. And the, the show that is made between the audience and the performer, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, we saw a pretty good one last night, which we'll talk, talk about in a bit. Um, but, but yeah, the, so I still don't kind of quite see how you go from like an indie, the indie scene in Auckland to whatever the kind of reverse polarity of that is All has right. to be Nashville. I'll try and, I'll try and fast forward <laughs> through this. But the, the, so I ended up, Working various music industry jobs, but managing bands on the side, um, being passionate about artists. And one of the bands that I I started managing was a band called The Brunettes. More than well. Yeah. And so there was just a moment. It was a time when music was going from its kind of electronic self back to its guitar self and, you know, how it does that thing every now and again. And, um, I, you know, again, looking back, I just was very, very, very focused on, I'm going to get this band out of New Zealand. We've got to get to a bigger market. We all know we're at the bottom of the world and everything else is happening somewhere else. And I wasn't going to stop it in Australia because bands would go to Australia and they'd never leave. So we've got to get, we've got to get to London. And so we went to London. <laughs> Let's forget all the bits about how to raise the money to get a band to London. Where do you stay when you're in London and all that stuff and how you get gigs. But we, um, yeah, and I was thinking about this earlier today for some reason about how back then you would send, I would literally send CDs all over the world to record labels and that's how you, that's how you had to get in front of people. 
I was thinking about it in regards to Nashville, how different it is there, and we'll, we will get to that. But but I a CD that I sent from Auckland landed in the offices of Sub Pop Records in Seattle. But when the band went to London, we ended up connecting with the Sub Pop folks who fell in love with the brunettes and then cut to a few years later, signed them, cut to touring around America in a van with a lot of brunettes, um, and a thousand experiences that really shaped shaped me, shaped them. Um, and, you know, you have that formative thing. But meanwhile, I, you know, I had a career. I had to earn money. I had to actually go back to it. So um, I did that on the side for a long time. And then in the meantime, I stayed in London. They went back and I, I started to develop my career in London, which basically means start from scratch. Absolutely. <laughs> Bang on the doors. And ask for jobs, basically. So then I eventually found my way in through the back door, the poor man's version of the music <laughs> business in London, which is no offence to anyone working in classical music, but that's the only way I could get in. I got a job in a classical music company. Of course, I still know nothing about classical music, but I did end up producing a classical music festival in Italy. And there's other stories in there. But by that time, I'm like, this is where I belong. I'm back. I'm working... I'm putting on shows. I'm thinking about interesting programming that could add to that festival. I know I'm 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 leaving out a lot of detail here. <laughs> it, you you kind of have to in some respects, yeah. but it also does speak to, you know, how the the, the sort of doggedness of you and and the the passion, but. Um, which all kind of does feel like it's extremely relevant to to both how you would end up in country and how you'd develop a like it's it's a very underdog music in a lot of ways. It's you know in a lot of mm. spaces it really has to fight, and it feels like that quality that's in you is very present in the the music that you know. It feels like you must be feel at home on some level. It's actually that's a nice way to connect it, and I I think. Um, I think a lot of us, I think people working in the music business, and I would say in media, you have to be very, you have to keep striving, you have to keep going. And I think that's actually how we work in the music business for the most part. Um, and so I, that's just, and I, I think that's also part of being a New Zealander as well. I think just pushing, like when you know that you have to prove yourself. And I've, I've now lived, I'm now living in Nashville. I lived in the UK for 15 years. I'm also, I think that also shapes us when you're, you have to kind of show that you can do it and don't forget that I'm not from here. It's okay, I can still do this kind of thing. There's something about pushing through that as well. But um, the, the connection, the jump between a, a festival in Italy and country music is, the quick steps are, um, and there's a nice little name drop I'm about to do here, and I don't like to do that, but I'm going to do it. Um, I started, I had an opportunity to work with um, Sundance Film Festival and actually help bring a little piece of Sundance Film Festival to London. Um, and that was a connection I established with working with Robert Redford on the Classical Music Festival. <laughs> wow. That's quite a name. Yeah. If you're going to drop one, yeah. make it big. It's a beautiful name to drop. So that was a dogged situation of trying to, and and we had a partnership with what was the, the venue, the O2 in London, the, big, the yeah. big venue in London, to bring a very indie, cool film festival, a slice of it into 
not a very you know like a, a difficult yeah. venue to do that and it has cinemas within that venue but but I did I produced Sundance London for three years and then the the venue the O2 were like we want to hire you to bring other things into this venue and build other bespoke content for that I hate calling events content but there you go um and I tried various things and by this point I'm trying to develop large-scale festivals or something into the O2 in London and I had a lot of failures but one of the ones that I tried on behalf of AEG who I was working for was to build a country music festival and I did it with two other individuals who three of us we built a, a festival called Country to Country so now I'm working in country music I know nothing about country music at this point really yeah so that's that's really crazy because that brand still exists right Oh yeah, this, the Country to Country is a hugely successful festival, uh, which is amazing. Yeah, it's know. in the O2. It takes place in three part in three cities in the UK at the same time. It's travelled to Amsterdam and, and Berlin, and it's it actually is actually one of the pivoting moments for Nashville to start thinking about we can we can tour now. We can we can leave Nashville because there's a place that can promote us, and it's yeah. So backing up. I had to do a deep dive into getting familiar with who's who in country music um, and then fell, fell in love with it, actually. Fell in, you know, I think, I think people who love songs and music and have always liked the lyrics, you know, you're going to find your way into country music pretty easily and that legitimate connection. <laughs> So, so how how long did it take them to sort of suck you back to the the mothership in um, <laughs> in Nashville? Well, that festival, Country to Country, launched in two thousand thirteen, and I produced the first six of those. And in the meantime, I would start going to Nashville. I got elected to the CMA board, which is a big deal. That's incredible. Um, for for some you know, like for imagine a there'd be a lot of people who want that and who'd look at look sideways at you. Yeah, and that was, then you're walking into a room of the people who run the music business. And and I would do that and continue to build the festival elements, which were amazing and gave artists real platforms to be discovered in the UK. Small artists could come and play that festival and, and build an, a fan base instantly. Um, and after doing that for a, a period of time, I, I did think, I the the creative bit had gone out of it for me and I was looking for something else and the CMA offered me a job because I now had an expertise of how to build a country, find the audience for country music in a market that really doesn't have country music. And so that's a good expertise to take to Nashville and use internationally. So that's where we are. Which is incredible, right? Because I think if you, and you know, this is just my sort of read on it, is one of the things that defines country music and you know the trade association being kind of emblematic of it is it's a real infrastructure sort of genre city community um where and what you have what what defines the reality of country music in most countries around the world is none of that infrastructure exists so your very specific expertise and how to sort of build that out is obviously of huge value to a a music that can seem quite insular and, and inward looking uh, from, from the outside at, at times. And so that's, that's quite a significant role. But, but so I really want to dig, there's a lot, right? I want to dig into it. But before we do, can you just explain, 
like Nashville for most of us is not a place we visit or, or might, might never, but it kind of, it sort of sings in our mind a bit as this idea as much as anything. Can you describe what it's like living and working there and watching country music operate as a, as an industry and a business? Yeah. Um, well, I visited Nashville a lot, and but I didn't really understand it till I moved there. The big thing I didn't understand, even though everyone said it all the time, is that country music is really built around radio in America. So it's a machine that operates. You have to get radio play in order, even in the world of streaming. It's all about getting an artist on the radio. Okay, so that's an aside. Let's just park that for a while. But... Yeah, it's a, it's not called Music City for for no reason. I feel like I've got that sentence wrong. It's called Music City for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm probably taking it for granted now, but it's true. I see people walking around with guitars down the street. I look out my office window and I will see people walking past with a guitar strapped on their back and a hat, and a hat on sometimes. They are going to write songs. If you show up, if you show up in Nashville as a songwriter, you're going to want to get a publishing deal and that's the first thing you try and do. You'll get, if you can get a publishing deal, you'll get paid a certain amount of money to write a certain amount of songs in a year or so or in a period. And so you go from 11 a.m. in the morning till 4 p.m. and you go to your publisher and they will put you in with other people to write songs. Now, if you show up in Nashville, you're a nobody and you're going to be put with other similar people including artists that are still trying to build a career and are basically nobodies. But if that artist gets somewhere, you could be going with them as a songwriter. So there's, there's, one, there's one kind of vertical of how it works. So meantime, in Nashville, publishers, business managers, managers, record labels, publicists, anybody who works and touches an artist in country music is constantly trying to pitch them at you. And it's not necessarily transactional. So I will always be invited to come and see an artist perform. And people will want me to meet an artist. That's the difference in the genre. In indie and in kind of rock and roll or whatever, you don't really, as an artist, you don't really meet business people. They mm. never make sure you meet they're almost squeamish about it, yeah, right? Yeah, it's like, keep it away. You know, that's not cool. Yeah. This is all about, I want to, you, you've got to meet Millie and she's got to make a connection with you and then she knows who you are. And it's like, that is a, that's, so my point is like when I first got a bank account in Nashville, I went into the bank and it actually looked like a record label foyer. It was covered in gold records Turns out I walked myself into a personal banking situation where there's only two tellers and and, <laughs> and there's no one else in there and it's it's very personal. Um, but I've even had people who work in the bank talk about an artist that they're championing. And so it's really, it's kind of almost hard to explain, but it's everyone takes the role like you might think of a manager doing or you might think of oh, we've just got to pitch them to this label. No, you just pitch them to everyone in the business constantly. So, and when I say pitch, it's the wrong word. You make sure people are making a connection with your artists all the time. Um, and so, you know, I 
the other thing that blows my mind is that any show, like if Chris Stapleton plays or if Luke Combs plays or if Brandy Clark plays or if people play in Nashville, you get invited to that show. And so they must allocate it into their their business plan that there's going to be 500 seats at the stadium show that just go to the industry because we want the industry to come. Every part of it. I'm possibly not even doing it justice, but no, just take I my word for it. Well, it's it... everywhere. It, it operates. It's a community. It really is. Like, I know that we know Nashville as, you think Nashville is all about music. Its biggest business is actually healthcare, but you don't know that. You know it's all about music. So just imagine a city the size of, size of Auckland that's primary business is music. But I think it's it's and it's so interesting because I've so long had this. It, it sort of irked me the extent to which uh, the money and how the business is conducted is something that people are squeamish about in New Zealand music a lot of the time. I, you know, I think that that has and is changing. And there are certain artists like Six Sixty, for example, who treat it very much like a job. They they keep hours in the same way that you were describing songwriters doing. But I I think it's actually you know, it seems to me that it's the country's benefit that it does take it seriously, that the it doesn't believe that the artistry is compromised by proximity to a knowledge of how the the sort of the money and the um, money is made and the careers are built. I mean, so for, for this thing, like, so it's one thing to kind of, um, I guess, you know, fall in love with the, the music, but there must be also something about the way it goes about its business that got its hooks into you to, for you to make such a huge, profound kind of life life move <laughs> that way. Yeah. Um, I refer to moving to Nashville being a really soft landing. Moving to London, you know, was like hard. That was hard. That was five years before you get anywhere. Now, obviously, I'm in a different point in my career moving to Nashville, but it's very hospitable. You're talking about southern states. They're very hospitable. You work in the music business, you're one of us. You're, you're in. You just need to be introduced. You know, you're, all of my social network is in the music business. All of it. I, I don't know anyone who doesn't work in the music business in Nashville. And that's, I've never had that through my whole life of working in the music business. I've always had people in my life who, are, most of my friends have not been in the music business, but that's what it's like in Nashville. So I really like that. I like how that we can collaborate, like being the Country Music Association, a a board running a vision for the genre. You know, having all the competitors in the room, the labels, the streaming services, the publishers, you know, even within that, there's a lot of, like, conflict, I think, with round royalties or, or whatever mm. it is. We're all in the room and we are talking about the future. What is it that we can do to keep moving our genre forward, building the audience, making sure we're being inclusive. Those are the discussions, you know, and I, I love that. I, I think about it, you know, coming back to thinking about New Zealand, you know, I worked here. There's so many great songwriters in New Zealand. You know, I think it's New Zealand music isn't a genre. Clearly. No. Please no. But it is a location that's isolated and there is a lot of talent here. In my experience, 20 years ago when I worked in New Zealand, it wasn't particularly collaborative. It's the opposite of that. It's you keeping yourself to yourself. You're being competitive because I know it's a small small market, so you are competing. But if you could get your head around the greater good as we all succeed, let's 
let's do something together. I mean, I would just, whether it's songwriting or producing something really collaborative, I think in any music scene is going to help, is going to be a positive, you know, and that's what we have in Nashville. Like it is, you know, the concert we saw last night, the musicianship you saw, the songwriting, Luke Combs' whole album, it's just, it's, it's so clever. All of the big albums that are coming out in Nashville at the moment, Morgan Wallen's album, it's so faultless. Um, and it's because that whole songwriting craft, honing, and by the way, if you're a, those hit songwriters, the hit, the big artists get to work with the best songwriters. So it's not, the big songwriters don't work with just anyone. So you have like levels of songwriters. So the A-listers work with the A-listers and then obviously every songwriter is trying to get, get up there to be able to be writing with the big artists. The Fold is brought to you by O Media, making brands unmissable and public spaces better across Aotearoa, with over 4,000 out-of-home advertising sites nationwide across both street furniture and retail centres. I'm super grateful to O Media for enabling us to make unmissable connections with Kiwis. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, Jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. The thing that kind of strikes me about your rise is that it does actually dovetail a period where country music has kind of cracked out of the that that sort of we are you know a music for by about these these kind of southern states and become something that's to the point where what we saw last night can happen like the idea that uh, it still kind of makes my head kind of spin the the uh, thinking about what we saw so Shall we talk about what we saw? Shall we talk about what we saw? I mean, <laughs> like for you as a so so what we saw last night was Luke Combs, this artist who well you you explain him because to to see him you know that that show as as the uh, one of the promoters Michael Chuck said so, sold out in minutes over a year ago and you know for any artist to do that on their first time is crazy for one but to do it with no no infrastructure and mm. have such a, a passionate crowd you know how, how did that how did that look to you as someone who has seen a shitload of these artists in different locations oh well i think how it looks to me is i have insider knowledge about what's happening here because that's my job to like know what's going on and so i know that there are country fans in new zealand that are not getting served anything you know, Anything at all. We've got no radio. radio. We've got no, there's no press. There's no one interested in them. Um, artists aren't touring here for the most part, you know, because there's, well, it's a long way away as well, let's face that. But there's no radio, there's no infrastructure. But there is, there are, there's some really passionate people in the, work, in the music business here who want to see that change. And they are, I'm connected with them. Um Luke Combs, as an artist, was very focused on being a global artist. And while he hasn't been to New Zealand, you know, in his very short career, that had 
I think you said last night launched in 2014 or something like that. He's been to Australia three times. Um, that's atypical, right? Like that. Uh, yeah, that is. That is. That's the the tide is starting to change in that regard. So this goes back to the festival that I was part of launching. Uh, I think it was right. Let's just say mid 2000s. Um, streaming starting to, you know, streaming's been around for a while, but it, we were still even ten years ago. It wasn't this, what is it, it is now, weirdly. But and I think that's when um, there was a desire for some artists to go beyond their their border, and and there were very few artists that wanted to do that. So going back to Luke Combs, he's been one of those artists from the get go in his career. And what actually happened when that show went on sale a year ago, they could have sold two arenas easily. Yeah, you could. They, they, they the could have. Demand was it went, so, it went so quickly. Yeah. And then subsequently he has released an album that is now, you know, he's got a number one song in New Zealand right now. Like that was even before that album came out. So you could say that, you know, if that show went on sale this week, would it be a stadium? Like yeah. it's big. And so my, I've learned something while I've been in New Zealand. So my, my job is to really understand each market. And I know there's country fans there. I know Luke Combs and his current success has crossed over into music fans. You know, he's got a song. He's done the Tracy Chapman cover, Fast Car. That's, that's a huge song in New Zealand right now. That's music fans. It's not just country music fans, right? So I went to that show expecting to see, it's going to be a mix. It wasn't. It was not a mix at all. It was a pure crowd. It was it was country people. Yeah. And let's talk about their age. Young. Yeah. Real young, like twenties, even early twenties. Yeah. That was that that blew me away. Like I was surrounded by this this group, basically young, really attractive couples, super into each other and having uh, their moment with this guy. And you know, I go to a lot of shows at Spark. I've never seen a crowd that that was that sort of specific demo mm. it, it was is that typical for Luke or is that a weird like New Zealand kind of microclimate thing I, I think what's what I was expecting was I think Luke's audience is young in the UK sorry in the US young and good looking is how I describe them because I think um it's it's music listeners I've seen a lot of country audiences I know what they look like I think Luke's is broader than that um and so I, I was expecting to see that mix last night. But, yeah, I'm not surprised seeing a young audience. I love bringing people along to the show, people like you, who goes, oh, my God, this is young, because it's a real perception shift, because actually that is who's consuming country music right now. You know, it's young people. It's a growing, you know, it's not exclusively young people, but it's not what you were expecting, older men in cowboy hats. It's not mm. that. Um I was excited about that audience. I went out and I interviewed a bunch of people and um, it was a very diverse audience as well. And I didn't meet a single Aucklander. Everyone I met. That's what I'm curious yeah. about, right? Like I, I was sort of guessing at that. But So where, where were they from, they the people were, you spoke with? They had Gisborne, um, Wa um, Waikato. People had travelled for six hours. Someone had come from Coromandel, someone from Takapo. The point being... It's a Wednesday night show. You've had to take two days off work minimum, do a flight and a hotel. You're, you're, on, you're on the hook for a grand, yeah. easy. So you're not, let's, let's talk about the demographic. You've, you've got some money and you, or you're very, you're very committed. And all of these people that I interviewed, 
you know, it's their first country music show and they call themselves country music fans and they're young. And I was like, yep, this is happening in New Zealand right now. So how are they, how are you onboarding them into your, your machine? My machine. Well, I really... You're, no, you're part of the community. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about the, the CMA and all who... Oh, no, who... no. No, I, no, I know. I, um, I really focus on the industry. You know, I want all of the record labels here. I want to find out that there's passionate people working here so that we, you know, so I can basically have a regular touch point with them. Record labels, media, um yeah, anyone who's passionate about country music that works in a significant way in the music business who can make a difference, I will put them together in a group. And I call them my country music industry community. And so I want to build one in New Zealand. And I think I found all the individuals on this trip to do that. And I will speak with them. I'll put them in a, on a Zoom call together. They won't be in a room. And we'll have a conversation on a regular basis. And we're going to start to, to do some stuff together. So this won't be the yeah you know, this the, if there's this and the Morgan show felt like they were the coming out parties for uh, New Zealand as a a spot on the the touring roster, but it won't be the last. No, yeah, there's definitely a desire. I think you know you said you know the Michael Chug, the promoter, was there last night, and you know there's other promoters in this part of the world that are seeing that audience, seeing that fervor seeing how fast those shows sold out. I think Luke's has been a really interesting one because while Morgan Wallen is a huge artist, um, he hasn't actually put on a world tour, whereas Luke did. And the, it's not just New Zealand, um, but he has sold he sold crazy numbers all over like Australia, but also Denmark and Norway and Sweden and Germany. So... Lucky me, I get to go there as well and try and forge together communities to help build the, the market in those countries as well. So obviously there, there is some element of your your job is to build out the, the infrastructure in these kind of mm. fresh locations. But there are also, uh, I think Cappy, uh, Luke's manager last night said in a, in a speech that there was like YouTube comments where he started to realise that there was a, a really big geography that was available to him that just wasn't particularly being exploited. How much of the of the CMA or of the country industry is a sort of a big data operation and kind of, or how much of it is just a general kind of feel the heat type it's, thing? It, it's a little bit, it's a bit of both. We want more data. So, and there are some countries that you can get really great data from their charts system. Um, and that is, a, that's a really helpful talking point when you can say, which I can say about the UK, that country music's the fastest growing genre there for the last five years. So if you say that in a room, you can turn heads and maybe brands will want to be involved. Like, And it's it's harder to ignore. I don't have that data yet in New Zealand, um, but I'm gathering it while I'm here. Um, and yeah, but as an organisation, yes, data and insights, that is, that is our focus. We've got a great team that are starting to pull that together. Um, and so we can track the consumption around the world and then, you know, look at, you know, which are the top 10 countries in, that, are, that are showing up for country music. That's where we should focus our, you know, my strategy should be focused around those countries. I mean, and, and another thing that, that kind of you could sort of feel radiating out last night was the extent to which Luke was sort of unselfconsciously uh, 
embracing his role as that tip of the spear for for country and you know my daughter jet full disclosure works at sony which is luke's uh record label um matt him was just raving about how personal he is a lot of artists before they go on stage that's not their big priority is to make everyone in the room feel good you know the things he was saying about shooting red stag and he got here early and watched an all blacks game and you know like there's just a a real sense of him being very comfortable that which i guess speaks to that that community thing this isn't about entirely about him as an individual it's about what what he will do for this industry that's given him so so much do you you know how important is it that that and then how common is it that the artists actually take on and embrace that role um I'm feeling terrible that I missed this out on the whole Nashville thing when I was talking about it before because the fans are just so important. Like meeting your fans beforehand and before the show, that's that's normal. That's normal. And it's all about, for country artists, it's all, it's about, I guess it's about two things, about the songs and it's about the fans. It's meeting them, it's connecting with them. Um, and I think that's another really nice, really nice piece. Like, those artists are brought into the industry and, and well, they're not taught. That's that's part of the appeal for them to be in country music. It's a real connection with your fans. So, um, And you can see that in that room last night. I think there was so much joy in that room. There's a real connection. And I, I felt it with, with Luke as well. I feel like I've seen him play stadiums in the US. It's great seeing him in an arena. I think that's probably a perfect sweet spot to sing. Like New Zealand, you're so lucky that you get to see these big artists in a room that size um, because you could feel it was just everyone was having a great time and he could feel that and we were all just part of one thing. So, yeah, the fan connection is it's just a, it's, it's the core of country music. Um, I'm aware that you're you're sort of jet lagged, and um, I'm holding you back from a, a ferry to Waiheke, which um, which is not a kind thing to do to anyone. But um, I wondered if we could close on. You've actually touched on it a bit already, but I think that there are lessons, like quite profound lessons, that uh, not actually just music, but any kind of community based art form can kind of learn from how country has done something, which. Ten years ago, the idea that you know artists would, on their own terms, the country artists would be meeting audiences like this here is pretty. I don't know; it would have seemed unimaginable. What What do you think? Like, say whether it's kind of New Zealand, like setting aside that it's not a genre, but it is a community. Uh, whether it's music or, or film or you know any other art form that is striving to leave these shores. What what is it, are the sort of the core lessons you think are, are applicable out of what you've you've learned watching Nashville in motion? That's a big question. Yeah, sorry about that. Really, <laughs> real chill one on. to end on. <laughs> um, well, I mean, I think partly seeing things like I mentioned before, like the greater good. I think that's also you know as you get older, you also you can make more room for people and you can start focusing on other people. You know, I know that in, in our own careers, you probably feel the same. Like you, you want to help people succeed. You don't want to just make yourself succeed, you know? And I think, I think Nashville, that, that is a really nice thing about working in that environment is that people love seeing each other succeed. It's not 
a tall poppy syndrome thing. And I think this possibly goes back to American culture and being in a culture where your own culture is reflected back at you 100%. You're not in an environment like we are in New Zealand or any other country where you have a mixed bag of things being reflected back at you. And I think that shapes people differently. Having lived in America now, I'm starting to see how that impacts in a very round, rounded way. I'm hoping that makes sense. It but, makes sense. Um, so I think collaboration, you know, and learning, learning from each other. That's it's, it's a weird thing to say, but I've only really just stumbled on the fact that the human experience, what we all have in common is that we have the ability to learn all of our lives. It doesn't stop. And I think we could learn from each other and be open to to people who may not even be at our level in the business or they might be at a greater level of us in the business and just being open to learn. So maybe it's that. That's that's pretty good. <laughs> um, thank you so much for coming up, Millie. I really appreciate, especially at the end of, of a long day after a late night. Um, but yeah, it's, it's so interesting to me. And honestly, if you're listening and you get the chance to go and see a big country show, even if you might think that it's not your thing, you'll be surprised, you know, like it's, there's, there's something happening there. And um, yeah, it feels like you've had quite a massive role in it. So I really appreciate you making time to pop by the pod. Oh, thank you so much. And I, um, I love the spinoff and I love that you've spun off <laughs> the spinoff to seek joy doing things like this. And um, I think that's, that's terrific. Oh, that's so kind. <laughs> Thanks so much. <laughs> thank you. That was The Fold, brought to you by our partners at O-Media, making brands unmissable and public spaces better across Aotearoa. Huge thanks to O-Media for sponsoring this episode of The Fold and enabling us to make unmissable connections with Kiwis. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and of course past performance does not guarantee future returns. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.